I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We celebrate Christmas with the episode of NXT that originally aired on December 25th, 2013. Aww. Now, you might be tempted to be a Grinch about this episode, (laughs) considering it's mostly a clip show. But then at the end, we get a gift that I suspect made Megan Bob's heart grow three sizes. Oh, if not more. If not more. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 32 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we were joined by the one and only Jeff Stormer, and it was awesome. It was so great. In fact, right now I can only think of one thing that's more awesome than being joined by Jeff Stormer, and that's getting all the way through 2013. That's right. This is the final NXT episode of 2013. Which means that after this episode, you can all start following along on Hulu and you don't have to give Vince McMahon your money. Hell yeah. Feels like Christmas has come early, Bob. It's also, as previously mentioned, a clip show, so Bob's breakdown may be a little shorter than usual, but I feel like we're going to make up for that when we get to the sight sounds and especially the feels of pro wrestling. Jesus Christ. And also when we ring the bell. We'll also explore another wrestling move of the week. Return after a long hiatus to guess the gimmick. And close out 2013, of course, with Bob's predictions about 2014 in the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, we need to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. We are in our fourth round of quizzing. And uh, Bob currently has two points in that fourth round. So let's see whether or not that score is going up. Question number one. Next episode is a Christmas episode of NXT, and it's basically a clip show. In case the listener hasn't gotten that yet, I repeated (laughs) it in the cheap pop quiz last time. Honestly, the only reason we're even covering it is because of the Cesaro-William Regal match. One of the things the show gives us is a video package of all the main roster superstars who have shown up in NXT, many of whom we haven't even seen because they occurred either prior to our coverage or not on television, rather at house shows. Who is not among the main roster stars featured in this video package? Is it A, Shawn Michaels, B, Kurt Angle, C, Chris Jericho, D, Randy Orton, or E, The Bella Twins? Bob, you went with B, Kurt Angle, and you were correct. Yay! Point, 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 point. (laughs) Also in video package form, we relive the crowning of the first NXT Tag Team Champions, which of course we didn't get to see because it occurred prior to the start of our coverage. Bob, I think I've told you this before, but let's see if you remember. The first NXT Tag Team Champions were a team called British Ambition, and they were composed of Adrian Neville and his partner... Shit, what was that guy's name again? (laughs) A. Shirley Crabtree. <laughs> <laughs> these are all these are all real British wrestlers, by the way. <laughs> Shirley Crabtree. Shirley Crabtree. He was a big deal. Okay. He was. <laughs> that, that sounds fake as fuck, but okay. That wasn't his wrestling name. His wrestling name was Big Daddy. If that makes you feel any better. Oh my God! Shirley Crabtree was his real name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> B. Wade Barrett C. Oliver Gray D. Dave Taylor or E. Lord Alfred Hayes Bob, you reached down into your memory banks and you came out with C. Oliver Gray and that was also correct Ah, uh, yeah Man, I do not think I got a sweep this time but maybe, maybe Let's see, question number three Aside from Regal and Cesaro, the only other actual plot thing that happens on the next episode 
Is Sami Zayn challenging Leo Kruger to a match? What kind of match does Sami want? Is it A, a street fight? B, a submission match? C, an Iron Man match? D, a cage match? Or E, two out of three falls? Bob, not sure you even know what an Iron Man match is, but that's what you no. went with. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was incorrect. Correct answer, as you now know, is two out of three falls. We're getting that again on the next episode. Oh, all right. All right, Bob. Well, it's time to get Christmas started. Let's jump in. Let's open up the present. Yeah. Undo the ribbon and pull the lid off of Bob's breakdown. It is a clip show. <laughs> Woo! Good news, though, because it is hosted by the shining cherubic baby face that is Renee Young. So that's nice. That's true. And she takes us back, back, back to the distant past of a few years ago when the WWE Performance Center opened in Orlando. And that is where they nurture baby wrestlers into big, strong main roster superstars. And then we get a look back at some of the big deal wrestlers that have come out of the Performance Center. So The Shield. Fandango, Xavier Woods, who I was really happy to see again because I miss him all the time. Yeah, which is weird because like he's in this section that's kind of like people who got called up. He hasn't been called up yet. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. And then also some guy in a bathrobe who hates NXT. Miles, who is this bathrobe guy? Okay, I'm so happy that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> So we're not going to do a full trading card or anything like that, but because uh, it's not worth it, we're never going to see him again. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I'm not even ringing the bell for him because he didn't actually appear on the show that we saw. But that guy's name is Damien Sandow. Okay. And uh, actually a, a criminally underrated performer, in my opinion, who oh. never got his due in WWE. Uh, I really love Damien Sandow. His thing was that he was the intellectual savior of the masses. Wow, uh, I love he it. He was really great on the mic, and he would come out, and the crowd would boo him, and he'd be like, silence! And uh, he was a great wrestler. He ended up getting a good run as um, the Miz's stunt double. Oh, wow. And he was calling himself Damien Mizdow, and he would like do everything the Miz did. And it actually turned into a really fun storyline that should have, like, the crowd was super behind him and loved him. He's yet another guy that, like, should have been a bigger star in WWE, but they decided they don't care about making money or something. Like, I, I don't, I legitimately don't know what happens when it's like the crowd is super into these guys. And for some reason, Vince is like, well, can't make him into something bigger. You know what I mean? I don't. Anyway, yeah. I love Damian Sandow. He's currently wrestling as uh, I believe his name is Aaron Stevens, and I believe he is currently working for uh, NWA. So he's awesome. Yeah, he looked awesome and fun. He was a tag team champion with Cody Rhodes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they were they were called the Rhodes Scholars. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> it was pretty great. Backstage, Biggie Langston, the current Intercontinental Champion, thanks the NXT Universe uh, just for supporting him because he's a lovely man who never forgets to send a thank you note. And then also <laughs> backstage... Cesaro gives this fucking heartfelt and heelish promo saying how he admires William Regal and actually respects him for his evilness in the ring. And he thanks him for having helped Cesaro to get a start at the WWE. But this long-standing, passionate, emotional relationship of these two people. Am I reading too much into this? Shut up. How dare you? <laughs> means that William Regal and Antonio Cesaro knew this day was coming. They always knew this day was coming. There's only room for one of them, and it's going to be the younger, the stronger, the better man. Emotions, Miles! I have emotions! Oh, man, if you have emotions for that promo... <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Until we get to the next one. Yep. They have this you know, long-standing relationship and there's some real older lion, younger lion vibes. So, Miles, tell me everything off the top of your head that you know about the history between Cesar and Regal. I will be taking notes for my fanfic. Basically, what I what I know about this, I, I don't know a whole lot about the relationship. I do know that um, when Cesaro first came to the States, he started training with a 
British wrestler based in the U.S. named Dave Taylor, who's actually one of the answers in the pop quiz. And Dave Taylor is a longtime friend and former tag team partner of William Regal. And it seems like Regal helped get Cesaro hired. Regal gave an interview where he said, uh, he said, when he finally got a hold of me and said he wanted to come here, that was it. He didn't have to go through a tryout or any other stuff. That's how much he means to me as a person and the kind of human being that he is. Aww. Regal says, I have only put my reputation on the line three times with people, Cesaro being one of them. Regal just has a ton of respect for him, helped him get a, his first job in WWE. It seems like Cesaro trained under under Regal and Taylor, and uh, and that was, that was part of the relationship was sort of a... Uh, Mentor-mentee thing. Uh, Like I said, I don't know a ton about it, but uh, that definitely seems to be the case. Like, if you're going to put your reputation on the line for somebody uh, in terms of their skill level and say, like, no, they don't need to try out, they're that good. It's like, it's it's Cesaro, right? Like, is there anybody else on that list? Yeah, and it's ironic because Cesaro is in the same position in his career now as William Regal once was, where it's like, how the fuck has this guy not been world champion? What are we doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cesaro's so good. Then we revisit some past championship tournaments and see the highlights. Adrian Neville and Oliver Gray, two men who have names straight out of a Virginia Woolf novel, (laughs) kick the asses of Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, and we see three or four different camera angles on Neville doing the red arrow. And it looks good on every angle. Mm -hmm. Like, Miles, have you ever known somebody who was so hot that they looked good no matter what. And like, it was annoying, but more than that, it was just like inscrutable. They go like, you have ketchup on your face. There's a stain on your shirt. You have greasy hair. Like you have this belly roll over the top of your jeans. Cause you're sitting down and still somehow objectively gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The answer to your question is yes, I have. Yes. That is Adrian Neville with wrestling. Just so good. Every angle, every time, even whenever he does like the botches on purpose, like his his botches look crispy and clean and beautiful. Yeah. Like uh, everything how? he does looks intentional. It does. And so uh, he's uh, I can't I can't with Adrian Neville. You're hearing <laughs> me cannot. <laughs> All right. And remember that women's championship match between Paige and Emma. Emma having to step up and be a tougher, fightier version of herself than ever before. We get to see that. And then also, Paige backstage is still keeping that uh, Paige-Emma fire alive by saying that she respects Emma. I mean, not a whole lot, but you know some, which technically counts. And then while Paige is there backstage, she also calls out AJ Lee and sort of says, watch your back. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like we don't have too much more time with Paige. She's calling Mm. out main roster ladies, so our tiny gothic pixie dream diva has to go to the main roster to back it up. Okay. Interesting, uh, interesting guess. We will find out at some point. All right. And so Bo is also still there. I mean, because he always is. That's basically it. That's where he sleeps. That's right. Not that he sleeps. Bo just goes up to Devin, squints into the distance, and says some... I want to say inspiring, but Bo is saying them, so not inspiring, but would be inspiring if it was somebody who, if it was John Cena, people would be shitting themselves. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Ha! Shade on you, John Cena. All right. But we do get clips of Bo's rise to prominence, and I, I was struck all over again. I wrote in all caps. It is still weird to me that he beat Biggie Langston. Like, I have trouble imagining the entire Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plus Splinter and April getting a hit on Biggie Langston. I doubt that the Justice League could handle Biggie Langston. I question any world in which it takes less than Captain fucking Marvel to pin him for three. It's weird because they don't show, like, the turnbuckle thing. Yeah, right. Turnbuckle? Turnbuckle. Um, yeah, they they just like kind of show that Bo won and they don't show that he didn't exactly win legitimately, which is an interesting choice. I was actually rewatching this. Uh, my mom was in the room because she was uh, helping with Rowan and uh, she was in the room for that. And she was watching that a little bit. And my mom doesn't watch wrestling, you know, like mm-hmm. she's she's not uh, she's not the world world's biggest fan of the fact that I watch wrestling. <laughs> but um, she was looking at it and she's going like, 
Wait, that guy that guy won? <laughs> right? I had to be like, yeah, there were shenanigans. Yeah. Miles' mom knows what's up. That's right. And now some mixed assorted clips of all of our NXT faves. Sasha Banks, Aiden English, Tyler Breeze, Sami Zayn. And when you see those clips of Sami Zayn flying back to back to back, mm. these clips, mm. you really appreciate how much height he gets. Yeah. Like, he is the true air bud. <laughs> I mean, he he gets air, he is yeah. friendly, and he is a dog. So, yes. These are all true things about Sammy yeah. Bain. He's a retriever, a golden him. retriever. He, oh, so. he's such a golden retriever. So, I want to pet him so much. Okay. <laughs> and then we get some clips of people who've showed up, including... I'm not going to talk about all the people who showed up, because I don't, I don't care that much. But um, Shawn Michaels looks good in a hat. There you go. There you go. Chris Jericho, though. Very young looking Chris Jericho, which is like, what? How did he look like he was 25 years old in 2013? And now in 2020, he looks like a middle-aged gym dad. Now, (laughs) one that can kick your ass, but still. Absolutely. He's got a mild case of the Dorian Grays. Honestly, Chris Jericho, I feel like he has a lot of Dorian Gray energy. Big Dorian energy, we call it in the Uh. English lit department. Because Jericho is absolutely, (laughs) Miles, correct me if I'm wrong on this, the kind of person who would say something like, you will always be fond of me. I represent to you all the sins you never had the courage to commit. I mean, yeah, he would say that. (laughs) He would absolutely say that. Yeah, I mean, Jericho is absolutely a Dorian Gray type, where it's like the most important thing would be that he likes what he sees when he looks in the mirror. But uh, yeah, he has really aged a lot in the past, like like over the course of like seven years, he went through maybe like 15 years of aging. Yeah. (laughs) I think probably has something to do with the fact that like, you know, after he like officially left WWE, because he looked like that pretty much... Like through his last WWE run. And then when he left, I think he was kind of felt a little bit more free to let himself go a little bit. And that's nice. fine. I love yeah. Chris Jericho. I love Jim Dad Chris Jericho. Oh, you know? fuck yeah. I love all, all Jim Dad. I want to see more Jim Moms as well. Like, I just want to see old ass wrestlers out there looking kind of old and like just going, fuck, I still tear you up, son. Although while we're talking about it, motherfucker needs to watch what he says on fucking social media. Yeah, and motherfucker needs to watch who he invites on his fucking podcast. That's all I'm yes. gonna say. Keep your nose clean, Jericho. Stop being a shit. That's right. And then Miles. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, that William Regal promo, dude. It's it's Shakespeare levels of pathos and drama. Just so much. So he's in the autumn of his career and reflecting back on it all and taking stock of what he's achieved and where he's failed. And what he is still is a first-class technical wrestler. But then there's Antonio Cesaro. And Regal gets up into the camera shouting that he knows he'll never match up to Cesaro. Not on his best day could he match up to him. And he's going into this match knowing it would take a miracle to win. And quote... That's not coming to a faithless old villain like myself. Mm-hmm. And if this is the end of the road for him, then what better way to go out than losing to, you know, Antonio Cesaro? And I wanted to kind of ask you a question about the setup for this match. Because, Miles, I think this is the first match I've ever seen where the story going into it is that we already know who the winner is going to be. I, I grant you that, you know, there's, I suppose, some level of belief suspenders where we think, well, I guess it's possible. But I mean, mm-hmm. William Regal is saying, no, I'm not going to win. Right. And that narrative move takes all the stakes off of what the kind of fight itself ends up being and puts it all into this character development and the relationship between the characters. Is that the yeah. point of a match where we already know the outcome? I think yes. And I think that that match is very rare. I was going to say, I haven't seen it maybe ever in any of the others I've watched. I think this might be the only one. One thing that wrestling can do really well is convince you that somebody's going to win, despite the fact that you know there's no logical reason for them to do it. Like, mm-hmm. as you consume it, as a person who knows that you're understanding a fiction, you can watch a wrestling match and be like, it makes no sense for this person to win. That wouldn't fit the story. But, like, if they can make you believe for a second that person is going to win. I remember there was a match... Uh, Back in 2004 that I watched, I remember this vividly. It was an episode of Raw 
And there's a wrestler named Maven, who you've never heard of because he didn't have much of a career. And he was wrestling Triple H for the world championship due to a convoluted storyline in which Maven got a world championship match. And we all fucking knew that Maven was not going to be world champion. I remember I was watching with my friend Eric and we knew he wasn't. We just it, it maybe he's not a world champion, but they set up that match and they structured that match so well that we were so completely sucked in. Holy shit, are they actually going to do this? Is Maven actually going to be world champion? He wasn't. They you know, and he didn't yeah. really go anywhere. But for that moment, for that moment, it seemed like maybe. And wrestling is really good at that. Um, yeah. And this match, this whole thing with Cesaro and Regal is very reminiscent of another higher profile match that took place about six years before this. It was a match that happened at WrestleMania between Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. Oh, wow. This is 2008, so like Ric Flair has been going for a while. The storyline was that Ric Flair, it was being suggested to him that he was going to retire, that he should retire. He didn't want to retire. So the authority figure at the time basically said that the next time he lost a match, he had to retire. Oh. And so that he was on this kind of like winning streak, right? Because he was winning. He consistently refused to retire. No, I'm not going out. No, I'm not going out. Um, And then he challenges Shawn Michaels for a match at WrestleMania. And Michaels at first tried to refuse. He was like, I'm not going to be the one responsible for for retiring you. Like, I'm not going to be the one responsible for taking out Ric Flair, taking Ric Flair out of the wrestling business. But Flair eventually goaded him into the match and happened at WrestleMania 24 and the match is colloquially referred to as the I'm sorry, I love you match. Oh, wow. Because that's what Shawn Michaels says visibly right before hitting Flair with the last super kick and pitting him. Wow. And it is a tremendous, huge emotional moment. A true legendary inflection point in wrestling history. And um, this match is kind of evoking the same feel. But even then, I don't think... I mean, Flair certainly never came out and said, I'm not going to win. Yeah. Like, he said, I realize I'm up against the biggest challenge of my career. I realize that I'm up against a great obstacle, but I'm going to fight and I'm going to claw, blah, blah, blah. And what Regal is doing is such a... It's almost like the same thing. It's, I'm sorry I love you, but in minor key. Yes. And the match plays out the same way. Where, like, there's almost this melancholy to it, where Regal is like... So much melancholy. Regal is like, I'm not going to win. There's, I love the line about how he was like, it would take a miracle and that's not happening for an old villain like me. But I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give it all I have. And I'm going to fight with every drop of violent venom that I have left, he says. Yes. And it's just like, it's so compelling to me. It and I is. love this particular storyline. But like, the reason I think it's so rare is because the only time you can ever do it is when a guy is ready to retire. Yeah. But he can still have one last match. And yeah. that doesn't happen in wrestling a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I suspect with wrestling that the way many people retire is very much a surprise to themselves and the company and is yeah. something known only to their doctor who goes, exactly. oh, that was your last match. Exactly. And like, what an unusual thing to get to choose, like to get to call your shot. I should also note, since we're talking about this, that it was not Ric Flair's last match, (laughs) as it turns out, (laughs) which retroactively takes a bit of the gravitas away. Yes, but but this was, in fact, listeners, this was William Regal's last match. It was. Which I didn't know going in and then kind of looked it up and went, oh, it felt like his last match, like it had to be. But I mean, as as I know about the genre, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of things you could have. Your last match multiple times. It's like Cher's farewell tour. It's never really over, is it? <laughs> God, still no. I love you, Cher. Now we have to revisit the match of year for, for just one second. Yeah. I mean, and what the fuck else was it going to be? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it was. Match of year. Match of year. Have a beer. Yeah. So it was a two out of three falls match. But before we even get the two out of three falls match, for some goddamn reason, the shield like splices into the cable as though it's an early aughts hacker movie. And there's this like the gray snow. And then it's the shield loitering backstage yelling at the camera. Yeah. Like, are they hackers? What's I know. I was like, 
who did they hire somebody? How did they? They don't have these skills. These guys don't know how to program a VCR. Forget it. I say as though people still know what that is. <laughs> and basically, they're loitering backstage just to say, don't get any ideas, NXT babies. If you come up to the main roster, the shield is going to destroy you. Also, give us your lunch money. And then it just sort of cuts back to the match of year stuff. How did they even choose clips? Like the whole thing is a masterpiece. Right. I, they do somehow pick out like five minutes of it and they put a Pirates of the Caribbean score underneath it. But it's just a lot of Sami Zayn being incredible, Antonio Cesaro being incredible. And I wanted to say that I thought it was a cool thing that Cesaro was in the match of the year because I thought it added something nice to that Cesaro Regal match. Yeah. Showing us like, oh, fuck, Cesaro is incredible. He's unbelievably talented and beats the shit out of this guy who is younger and jumpier than he is and has skills that Regal at his age definitely doesn't have anymore. Yeah, it really is a nice, like, this is what Regal's up against. Yes. And there's kind of no looking away from it because it's just kind of like, here's Antonio Cesaro's greatest hits. Right. Oh, and then we get that main event. So Cesaro and Regal come to the ring and... Basically, everyone just strap in because I I have emotions. (laughs) So they lock up and Regal shows some agility, somersaulting, twisting. He does kip up to reverse a hold on Cesaro. But it's clear, even in this early point, that Cesaro is stronger. And not just because at the beginning of the match, like just is a super strong guy. And he leaps up onto Regal's shoulders somehow. Like if... (laughs) how a cat sort of would lounge across your shoulders. Cesaro does that to Regal somehow. Yeah, I think he's trying to go for some kind of crucifix or something, I think. It was so cool. It's just like up there hanging out. Yeah. And then Regal shakes him off and they lock up again. And Cesaro forces Regal from standing into bending backwards into a bridge with Regal's head down on the mat, which I was very impressed. I did not think that Regal still had that level of like, flexibility and stuff to do that or that core strength because that's a whole thing yeah and regal's keeping up with everything cesaro is doing but you know as a viewer he's not going to be able to maintain that this is temporary and we all kind of know that it's temporary and regal gets out and he does lock cesaro up but cesaro muscles out and then throws regal overhead onto the mat and he has this opening to pin regal and regal's kind of looking for cesaro to double down and kind of waiting for it But instead, Cesaro just lets Regal get back up and continue the match. So, you know, Regal kind of gives him a look of like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're playing this slightly differently. And when they lock up again, it looks for a second like Regal has Cesaro in hand and he's standing behind Cesaro. He's got him kneeling down. But it's Cesaro. That's the problem. If it was anybody else, you'd go, maybe it'd be okay. And for a second, I thought maybe it was going to be okay. And then Cesaro just lifts Regal up from behind him into this, I don't know, is it a vertical suplex? I think so. Yeah, from kneeling, he does this. And just, obviously, Regal goes down. And now Cesaro has this opening, so he starts working over the knee of Regal, and Regal's down the mat, and Cesaro curls Regal's knee over the back of his neck, and he lifts up to just dangle Regal from that worked-over knee. And Regal breaks the hold by touching the rope and battles back. He gets, you know, a little bit of momentum. But this European uppercut from Cesaro just lays him out badly. It's like he just collapses onto the mat in the way that you do when you're really hit. I wanted to to tell you this specifically, Bob. The move that Cesaro puts on Regal where he's got his his knee over the back of his head and he's like, Uh, yes, got got his leg. That move is called the stretch muffler. I love it. That's cute. (laughs) Cesaro grabs one leg and Regal resists and it's like he knows why he's resisting and it doesn't matter though because Cesaro grabs the other one and it's the Cesaro swing which I never thought I would get to see William Regal be on the receiving end of and it was very strange to see (laughs) William Regal swung about like that but I think whenever you're fighting Cesaro it's part of the full experience it's like are you gonna go to Disneyland and not go on Splash Mountain you gotta do the Cesaro swing so he does that Cesaro gets Regal back up for the neutralizer, but Regal flips Cesaro over him and starts crushing the arm and shoulder of Cesaro because he realizes at this point, Cesaro is too powerful. All I can do is injure him so he can't use his power in that way. This is my best hope. 
But they're both slowing down by this point in the match anyway. And Cesaro gets the rope, so Regal has to let him go. And Cesaro responds with this drop kick. And which is mm-hmm. not necessarily a thing you see Cesaro do that much, but Regal sells the hell out of it. He just like flies down. The move that Regal was going for there, the submission hold, is his signature submission hold, the uh, Regal stretch. Ah, okay. And William Regal is basically punch drunk isn't even like maybe the right word for it. He's sort mm-hmm. of like in that twilight consciousness is kind of what he's he's given off. So Cesaro drags him up for the neutralizer. Regal's barely kind of moving. Basically, his knees are locked in place, and that's what's holding him up, kind of. And Cesaro just lets Regal collapse back down to the mat. And only when Regal crawls back up to his feet under his own power does Cesaro pull the trigger on his finisher and pin Regal for the win. Mm-hmm. And as several refs help Regal to make it backstage after this match is now over, Cesaro stops him on the ramp and he sticks out a hand. And after a second, Regal takes it and they shake hands, looking into one another's eyes in that way that people do whenever they've been through something together. Match of year! Match of year! Match of year! (laughs) It's so good! It's so good! It's... (sighs) The two out of three falls match was peak wrestling Mm -hmm. this was a short story this was a novella this was a play in a way that that the two out of three falls match kind of can't be because it it's never going to have that level of like finality to it Mm -hmm. it was real good miles it was real good it was real good thank you so much for that breakdown bob I mean, what did you think of all this? You know what? It was weird to see the shield and actually know who John Moxley is and therefore know who <laughs> Dean Ambrose is and go, get out of here, you little fucking millennial punk. I say as a fellow millennial <laughs> punk, but as far as I can tell, that is the character that John Moxley is. And also to some extent, Dean Ambrose is like irritated millennial. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, same. Obviously, the shield and uh, John Moxley is the big takeaway from this episode. But um, let's get into some some other takeaways here uh, with the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw just the ebb and flow of the Regal Cesaro match in a mm. way that I don't normally get to see, but I understand narrative beats in this kind of story in a way that I don't necessarily in kind of a traditional wrestling story. So I was able to fully appreciate like, oh, of course, this is the moment whenever it has to seem like there's a chance and there has to be this kind of moment of nobility or this moment of like grace and kind of permission these things and Mm. that was very fantastic to get to see all of those things play out so miles what did your elf eyes see i was tempted to do regal stuff for all three of these but i'm gonna i'm gonna break it up just a little bit and i'm gonna let you know that uh my elf eyes saw the dress that renee young was wearing oh yeah because I liked it a lot. Uh, Renee Young, obviously beautiful no matter what she's wearing. Yeah. But um, this dress is really cool, kind of like blue and black thing. And around the kind of collar, it almost looked like the Black Panther necklace, you know? Oh, She had these yeah. little like, kind of silver diamonds going around kind of her collarbone. And I don't know. I just thought it looked really cool. So that's, that what, my, that's what my elbow saw. Aww. Renee Young is cool. She's great. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears heard the pause before William Regal says that it's his fault that he was never world heavyweight champion because it is this sound of self-awareness and maturity that so few wrestlers can maintain or are allowed to maintain. Like your character can't admit that they're wrong for something for the most part. Mm-hmm. So to hear that little pause and was like, oh, I never got to be this. And that's my fault. Because I, I made these choices it was yeah. like, oh, wow, that's such a different kind of character. It's like, you know, everybody's kind of coloring with the eight pack of crayons. And then William Regal's like, 
Excuse me, I'm going to bust out my pastel set. I'm not even sure it's a character, honestly, because like he did he did make choices. And <laughs> oh, did he now? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Uh, I just want to talk about the Regal promo in general a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> His delivery. Yes. Like we talked about, that that melancholy. And like, yes. I've legitimately never seen, or maybe very rarely seen a promo like that, where it's like, he's not tearing up exactly, mm-hmm. but you can hear the emotion in his voice as he talks about his career. Yeah. And you can kind of hear that he's processing everything. And I really love it when wrestlers are able to take what's really happening inside themselves and turn that and transmute that into something that works within the fiction. And I just can't imagine. Can you imagine being a wrestler in NXT at mm. the time and watching that promo? <laughs> be like, well, I should just quit my job. I'm yeah, never going to yes, be that, that good would at be acting. My reaction. That would be my reaction. I'll be like. Well, I can't do that. So, <laughs> but like, that's what happens when you have that, like that genuine emotion and you use that to fuel what you're doing in front of the camera. It was such an amazing promo for so many reasons, but it gave me this palpable sense of a very specific kind of Shakespearean monologue. Mm. And it is specifically the kind whenever the villain knows that they're about to be caught and their kind of last moment of getting to tell the story from their perspective in that they uh, usually they get that one last monologue. Yeah. And then after that, the story, like they are kind of taken out of their own internal story and they become part of somebody else's story again. That one last moment of saying, Oh, this is who I am. And then like the, the narrative grinds on and they're kind of like, taken out in the process because that's how the narrative works. It speaks so much to his ability that he could convey that to you, despite the fact that you have not been following his wrestling career for the last 30 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just, uh, and obviously you know some stuff about Regal and he's talked on commentary about how he's an old villain or whatever, but like, yeah, for people who, you know, grew up watching him be a scumbag, (laughs) you know, (laughs) It's uh, it really drives that home that like that Shakespeare villain monologue thing home because he's like, well, all my wrongs have officially caught up to me. <laughs> I've been a bastard for a long time. Uh, and now I have to get in the ring with that guy. And this oh. is not going to go well. Let's do it. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, all right. Well, Bob, I don't even know if I need to ask this, but what did your human heart feel? Everything. My human heart felt absolutely everything. But specifically that moment when Cesaro doesn't follow through on his finisher for the first time. Because Mm -hmm. he pities Regal in that moment and he doesn't want a victory over someone pitiable. He wants a victory over William fucking Regal. And he's not going to accept anything less than that. I love that. Miles, what did your human heart feel? That's such an interesting interpretation of that moment. I know. I, I This may be deeply related to my fanfic plot that I That's have worked fun. out. For me, it and it's probably because I am coming into this with the context of that Ric Flair-Shawn Michaels match. Because for me, it played out a lot like, like he's about to give him the neutralizer. And then like for a minute, he just can't. He just mm. can't. He just can't take this legend, this man that has been wrestling for 30 years and has literally at this point given everything he has left to this match. He just can't bring himself to destroy it. Yeah. And to, to put Regal down. And of course he does a moment later, but that's kind of my interpretation of it. I think they both honestly work. Oh yeah. But for me, what my human heart felt was again, that, you know, I'm sorry. I love you, but in minor key, it's like, yes, I'm not sorry but I respect you. It's a different dynamic. Cesaro asked for this match. Cesaro wanted the opportunity to destroy Regal. He wanted to be the one who ended William Regal. And now he's getting what he wants. And mm. for a moment, he's like, oh, I don't know if I want this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I want this. It's, it's not. He's not sorry about it for Regal's sake. He's almost sorry about it for his own sake. Like, do I want to yeah. be this person in a weird way? And then 
the respect at the end, I just... Uh, yeah. I mean, this match is one of the most emotional match. Probably the most... I mean, definitely the most emotional match that we've seen so far. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think one of the most emotional matches that we'd seen in NXT, period. And I had never seen it before this. Oh, wow. And I was just absolutely blown away by this adaptation of such a well-known and such a thoroughly deconstructed and analyzed and lauded moment in wrestling history, which was, I'm sorry, I love you. And this is like Regal and Cesaro's take on it. And they're like their version of it. And it's not the same song, but it's definitely a cover. You yeah. know, and in in a way, I like it more than the original. I like it more than I mean, I have not seen the original, but like I can't imagine liking that more than the pathos, the deep, deep pathos of this. On this note, Bob, let's uh, those were the sight, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. I, I do want to take a minute to ring the bell for William Regal as an in-ring competitor. All right. So as we've discussed um this is the final match of William Regal's 30-year wrestling career. I mean that very literally. He started in 1983 at the age of 15, wrestling at amusement parks and carnivals. He came to be known as a shooter, which is someone who could make you tap out for real, basically. Someone who could really fight. Jeez. Members of the public would go to the wrestling challenge booth at the amusement park and try to win money by going up against Regal in a scenario very reminiscent of wrestling's carny origins. Because, you know, that's what you want to do. You want the public to pay cash. Yeah. You don't want to pay out, right? You don't want to give them the prize. So you put them up against someone like Regal who can actually, like, fuck them up. In the late 80s, he made his televised wrestling debut as Steven Regal in the British promotion All-Star Wrestling, frequently tagging with fellow British legend Robbie Brookside. In the early 90s, he came to the United States and had a couple tryout matches with the WWF. But he ended up signing with WCW, where he portrayed the villainous Lord Steven Regal. After several years of limited success, he did finally go to the WWF, where he was introduced with a fondly remembered, in a like B-movie kind of way, uh, <laughs> series of vignettes. In which Regal, quote, the real man's man. Yes. <laughs> a line echoed very nicely on commentary during the Cesaro match. He performed numerous manly acts like uh, chopping wood and squeezing oranges for orange juice. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, by this time, he was dealing with some pretty serious substance abuse issues, and he ended up losing his job and going into Oof. rehab. Uh, he was back in the WWF by 2000, though, where his name was changed from Steven Regal to William Regal, and he has been working for Vince McMahon ever since. And we can't sit here and recap Regal's entire WWE career, but he's done basically everything except for win the world championship. He's a four-time tag team champion, a four-time European champion, a five-time hardcore champion, and a two-time intercontinental champion. But of course, as he himself says in this episode, he never did win the big one. While he has had babyface runs, he's excelled most consistently in the role of the dastardly heel perhaps most notably during the Power of the Punch era, which involved Regal illicitly knocking out his opponents with brass knuckles <laughs> and claiming he was just really good at punching. <laughs> He's uh, also been the butt of more than his share of what Vince McMahon considers jokes, uh, including the time he drank a cup of tea flavored with Chris Jericho's piss. Oh, God. And part of his legacy will undeniably be his various turns as an authority figure, from WWF commissioner to Raw general manager to town crier in King Booker's court. No, I'm not <laughs> explaining that. Look it up if you want to. Okay. For our purposes, he will continue to be part of the NXT commentary team for a while. And there's actually much more to come for him in NXT as our coverage continues. His entering career may be over, but our journey with William Regal is just beginning. Uh, we got to do uh, the wrestling term of the week, which in this case is the wrestling move of the week. But before we can do that, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling history of the week from two episodes ago. So, Bob, let's hear what you came up with. Okay, remember... The booker just wants you to accompany me to the ring, and then when the Fonz gets me in the corner, you distract the ref and I'll choke him with my tie, said Tiger Millionaire, straightening his nose and whiskers. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's boring. I want to fight, Purple Puma groaned. 
I know, I know it's not fair, but that's what the booker asked for. And maybe if we do a really good job, we can tag team again. Ooh, are you and Stevani could tag team? I want the women's tag team title. Tiger Millionaire's eyes got huge with excitement. Yeah, that belt even sticks around. Whose idea was it to let Uncle Grandpa be the booker anyway? Was it that ostrich that's acting as producer? <laughs> Stupid ostrich, Purple Puma shook her fist. Well, I guess the promos have been really interesting lately. Does that count? No. Not if it means I don't get to wrestle. Purple Puma kicked the wall sullenly. The Fonz took his place in front of them backstage, getting ready for his entrance. Hey, if the lady wants to fight, I have no problem with a handicap match. The Fonz respects women and their right to get their hands on me inside and outside the ring. Tiger Millionaire looked worried. I think that ostrich is going to be really mad, though. The Fonz <laughs> smirked. Don't be a square. This is for women's rights. Who are you going to listen to? That ostrich and Uncle Grandpa or me, the guy who gets the jukebox to work every time? That's right. Come on, Steven, let's do it. Purple Puma pumped her fist. All right, but you have to help us fight that ostrich afterwards. Tiger Millionaire said, and also show me how to do the jukebox thing. One thing at a time. First, I got to put over this purple Puma. By the time I'm done, the crowd won't even remember or care who you and I are, Tiger. Well, no, the ladies will remember and care who I am. They always do. Hey. <laughs> oh my God, he said the thing. I love it when he says the thing, whispered Tiger Millionaire as the entrance music started. Oh, uh, that was glorious. Thank you for that, Bob. You should explain it just in case. Yes, Miss Elizabeth having to be the valet and not getting to be part of the in-ring action. I wanted to have an alternate universe in which the two male leads conspired to, like, throw that out and say, like, no, nah, man, we're going to make her the star of this show. So that way she gets put over big time and, like, can be in the ring again. That's red. I, I like know. It so much. And I was like, of yeah. course, these two would do this. And the Fonz would help. I may have written the Fonz as significantly more woke than he was in the show, but. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that fanfic, Bob. That was glorious. I appreciate the explanation and I love what you did with that. So I I keep throwing. I know the wrestling histories uh, are curveballs and I really appreciate your creative endeavors to uh, to turn them into fanfics. I think you do a great job. So thank you. No, thank you. And thank you to Jackson Bruheim for those characters. And I also have to thank Josh Vasky Huff for their suggestion of the Fonz, because obviously the Fonz has been a professional wrestler. Well, that is now time for the wrestling move of the week. And the wrestling move of the week is Powerbomb. Yeah. Now, the first time we talked wrestling moves way back in episode seven, we discussed the suplex, which is generally any move that involves lifting your opponent with your hips and throwing them onto their back or neck. Today, we're going to talk about the powerbomb, partially because I feel like there's a little confusion on your part, Bob. Mm -hmm, Totally understandable as to what exactly a powerbomb is. And partially because it's another family of moves that involves lifting your opponent and throwing them onto their back or neck. However, whereas the suplex is all about leverage and positioning, using that sharp hip motion to toss your opponent over your head, the powerbomb generally involves more pure strength. Lifting your opponent bodily off the ground before slamming them to the mat. So the standard powerbomb goes something like this. You and your opponent are standing, facing each other, right? Mm -hmm. You kick them in the stomach, doubling them over. Or you just grab their head and force it down so they're bent over at the waist. Then you put their head between your legs, wrap your arms around their waist, and lift. Your opponent is now sitting on your shoulders, straddling your face, which is in their crotch. Only then... You slam them to the ground, making sure to get a good whiff of their sweat-soaked genitals before delivering them to their doom. Heck yeah. Now, there are, as always, numerous types of powerbomb. Probably the most common type is the sit-out powerbomb. With this version, as you slam your opponent to the ground, you yourself also drop to a seated position with your legs spread in a V-shape, your opponent slammed between them. Yes, I've seen that. If desired, you can then trap your opponent's shoulder to the ground with your legs for a pinfall attempt. The release powerbomb, where you slam your opponent to the ground but you yourself remain standing, is sometimes considered the lazier version of the move. There's also the running powerbomb, where you run with your opponent on your shoulders for a short distance before slamming them, 
the spinning power bomb or spiral bomb, where you spin around a couple of times before the slam, and several other versions that we won't get into here. While your opponent definitely helps you perform the move, it does require some strength to get them up on your shoulders, as opposed to the hip-popping motion of the suplex, which is why the powerbomb is often a move associated with larger, stronger wrestlers, and the suplex is usually associated with kind of more technical, skilled wrestlers. Okay. Of course, the whole setup where you kick the other guy in the stomach and then put their head between your legs before lifting isn't a requirement. There are all kinds of ways to get into the powerbomb position, many of which are considered their own variations. For example, the sunset flip powerbomb usually involves both wrestlers standing on the top or second ropes facing each other. The one facing the ring flips over their opponent, catching them in a powerbomb on their way down. Powerbombs are also often used as counters for high-flying moves, such as Hurricane Rana's. Mm. Even in mixed martial arts, you often see power bombs as a fighter trapped in a triangle chokehold, for example, will often break the hold by lifting their opponent off the ground and slamming them to the mat. No matter how the move is set up, remember, if the wrestler has their crotch in another wrestler's face immediately before being slammed, it's probably a power bomb. Nice. Thanks for making rules I can remember. <laughs> no problem. Well, with that, Bob, it's time to do something that we haven't done in quite some time. It's time to guess the gimmick. All right, I'm ready. So for this guess the gimmick, Bob, I'm going to need you to open up Google, and I would like you to go to the image section before typing in the name of this wrestler. Okay. Just in case. Once you are in Google Images, I would like you to type the name of Curryman. C-U-R-R-Y man. Two words. All right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> God. I have some thoughts. I don't okay, know me. what they are. I am seeing a man in yellow, kind of shiny material with flames on it. There's also uh -huh. some red and a face mask, a full face mask that looks kind of devilish, but also very cartoony. Okay. With outlines around the eyes, nose, mouth, and ears in white. And little sharp pointy teeth around the mouth. Okay. Um, looks haunted as fuck. I would say <laughs> first and foremost. Definitely not okay or normal. So an imp from hell or from whatever, you know, underworld you, you like to subscribe to. And uh, I think got to earth... You know, was there on, you know, on a business trip as, you know, had to, I don't know, sign some contracts, whatever you do as an imp and got really into hot Cheetos <laughs> and was like, oh, man, what was I doing to hell with contracts? That's bullshit. I want to <laughs> just be super into hot Cheetos. These Cheetos, man, we thought some of the stuff in hell was hot. That's not as hot as these hot Cheetos. And is like super dedicated to that hot Cheeto lifestyle and becomes kind of a spokesperson for hot Cheetos, basically, you know, challenging people to eat them because like, can you handle it? Can you handle this right. delicious hot heat? I naturally, with any product placement, the next step is pro wrestling. Obviously, that is why every single like serial spokesperson has that log cabin that you pour maple circle out of. That has been a pro wrestler. Everything that's ever been producty, they've been a pro wrestler. I say in this world that is absolutely not true, but that this imp somehow is hot Cheeto wrestling man. Okay. I don't know how the curry fits into this. I see no representation of curry anywhere in this other than the fact that curry can be hot. And I'm sure that Cheetos would love to make a curry flavored Cheeto. Well, so Bob, if you look at what's on his head... Yes, it is a bowl of some kind, perhaps? It is. It is a uh, a plastic bowl of curry with a side of rice. Ah, I see. In a way, you weren't far off with your characterization. Okay. Um, although, frankly, the, the origins of this character have never been fully explained. 
in terms of like his backstory. I will tell you that uh, his catchphrase was, I'm hot, I'm spicy, I taste great. Nice. It's good to have strong feelings about yourself that are positive. That's right. He was known for his patented curry dance. Aww. And yes, he did wear a bowl of curry and rice on his head. His uh, mask is one of the most bizarre luchador masks in wrestling. It has little teeth and little earrings. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, honestly, like, you gave Curryman more backstory than he actually has. However, I do have to tell you, you are familiar with the man behind the mask, Bob. Am I? Yes. Because Curryman is the alter ego of the fallen angel Christopher Daniels. Uh- well, I mean, I guess my hell theory is in some way borne out. Yeah, it absolutely the fallen is. fallen angel just decided to go like, yeah, I'm just going to get really into earth food. Of course, Bob knows Christopher Daniels as one half or I guess one third of uh, SCU in AEW. Yes. And also as a 50 year old man who should be very careful what he's doing because I don't want him to get hurt. Yeah, he's ageless, and uh, he's a fantastic wrestler, and as a result, Curryman was very popular because everyone knew it was him, and they knew how good he was, and they were just getting into the silliness of the gimmick. <laughs> and uh, he did at one point, Bob, uh, team up with Lowe's Ice Creams in Chikara. Oh, so. of course, of course. And we should say that Chikara has done some bad, well, not Chikara hasn't done some bad shit, but... Uh, Mike Quackenbush has done some bad things. Has done some bad things, uh, proprietor of Chikara, although has stepped down, but yes... Not cool. But Chikara is still magical in many ways. Yes. So yeah, that was Curryman. Uh, thank you so much to $5 patron David Kehoe for that suggestion. <laughs> I was very into it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, David Kehoe is a $5 patron, which means he gets to jump the line for things like Guess the Gimmick. So if you want to get a wrestler uh, into Guess the Gimmick territory, a $5 patron becoming that will help you. And now it's about time for the end of our show. But we can't leave without completing the cheap pop quiz. All right. Hat trick, hat trick, hat trick. Here we go. So, Megan Bob, question number one. Minor spoilers for the next episode. Okay. Scott Dawson is injured, and he's going to be out for a while. All right. That leaves Sylvester LaForte without a client, and he has to go looking for one backstage. Who does LaFort attempt to recruit into the Legionnaires? Is it A, Tyler Breeze? B, Mason Ryan? C, Aiden English? D, Adrian Neville? Or E, Bo Dallas? If he tries it with anyone other than Tyler Breeze, what the fuck were creative thinking? <laughs> like, Tyler Breeze? For comedy reasons... It has to be Tyler Breeze. No one else. I guess Bo Dallas would be that funny. But like Tyler Breeze and Sylvester LaFour will be a million times funnier than any of these other combinations. And I know that the Mason Ryan one there is just there to like to lure me away with shiny horses, which it almost did. (laughs) Fair enough. You've seen through me. (laughs) Question number two. The next episode also features a sing off. Between Aiden English and Colin Cassidy. How does this go down? A. Cassidy sings terribly and is thoroughly outclassed by English. But of course the audience is the judge and they cheer loudest for Cassidy so he wins. B. Cassidy sings terribly and is thoroughly outclassed by English. And despite the fact that Cass is playing to the crowd while English insults them, they cheer loudest for English and he wins, even though he clearly wasn't supposed to. C. Cassidy sings terribly, but before English can sing, Enzo hits him from behind with a low blow. Enzo and Cass then proceed to beat up English. D. English sings beautifully, but just as Cass is about to sing, Enzo hits English from behind with a low blow. Enzo and Cass then proceed to beat up English. Or E. Cassidy comes out in a super nice suit sings a bunch of insults in English to the tune of Danny Boy, and wows the crowd with his singing ability. After he wins the sing-off, English beats him up. 
I guess it depends on whether or not I believe they would let Colin Cassidy sing. (laughs) Or whether or not he's willing to sing. Okay. No, you know what? I'm going to go with the one that I want to be true and that I think makes more sense, even though I think the low blow thing is very possible, but I don't want there to be any low blows. So I'm going to say, I think, B... He sings, and Cassidy is supposed to win, but the audience cheers for him. That's what I want. They cheer for English. They better. Okay. And question number three. Finally, next episode's main event is the two out of three falls match between Leo Kruger and Sami Zayn. Oh, no. We've done this before. Who wins, and what's the score? Is it A, Zayn 2 to 1? B, Kruger 2 to 1? C, Zayn 2 to 0? D, Kruger, 2-0, to zero, or E, draw. Last time we did this, Bob picked draw. <laughs> I know, I'm not doing that again. I have, I've learned one lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Are they trying to push Leo Kruger or Sami Zayn? I can't tell. Kind of both. Um, no, I don't think they're done beating up Sami Zayn yet. I think they're going to make Sami Zayn feel like shit for a little while longer. So I'm going to say 2-1 to one, uh, in favor of Kruger. Two to one, Kruger. Answer B. Okay. Come back next episode to see the answers to this cheap pop quiz and whether or not Bob scored any points in her ongoing quest to make me read a fourth romance novel. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, once again, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, man. Thank you. And thank you to William Regal and Cesaro for just being (laughs) the fucking best. Uh, just general thank you to William Regal and Cesaro, two men who have not been nearly appreciated by wrestling history as they deserve. Yeah. But you know who we do appreciate? Who's that, Bob? It's our, our listeners and our patrons. They're lovely. They are lovely. And uh, our patrons, especially, uh, we really appreciate because you help us out financially. And that's just really nice, uh, especially right now when we're all waiting for a stimulus that's not coming. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I have put all of our patrons and their wrestling characters into the game Extreme Warfare Revenge. And I have officially started the game under the promotion titled The Next Wrestling Fan Federation. I have started the game. I haven't gotten very far into it. There was a a much more in-depth process than I remembered to actually start the game, because if you're building a promotion from scratch, you need more than just wrestlers. You need actually, you need, like, staff members and shit, right? What? Yeah, yeah, you need to have, like, a medical crew and road agents and stuff like that. my god. I'm not going to go through everybody that I came up with, but uh, we do have a full staff uh, consisting of people that we know. And people who've been guests on this show primarily. So, for example, uh, Hub is a writer for the show. Jeff Stormer is a road agent. Nice. (laughs) We have Jeff B. Lee as an announcer. Oh, of course. Our referee crew is helmed by the uh, intimidating husband-wife combination of Dan and Kit Mulcairn. Oh, man. They're both referees. I think they'd be really good as referees. Yeah. Lucas Brown is our head trainer. Aw, yay. And Chris Newton works in production. Uh, Al Collins, also a writer. So just everybody who was on as a guest on our show uh, has a role in uh, the promotion, including, of course, you and I, Bob, who are the two announcers. (laughs) Our show is called Fights and Feels. (laughs) Aw, I love it. And it airs, of course, on Saturdays. Beautiful. Got all the feuds. I had to switch up the feuds a little bit. Um, I will talk more about the feuds uh, as they progress. I do want to say one last thing before we go, which is that We officially have 10, count them, 10 tag teams. Oh my goodness. We are the opposite of NXT from 2013 and 2014. We have a great tag division. We do. I just wanted to quickly like go through because I had to name a lot of these teams. Okay. And I'm kind of proud of a few of them. So we mentioned uh, Tooth and Claw, Dylan Dalbridge and the Drop Bear from our last episode. They are our newest patrons. I put uh, Rutherford Hunt, since since Rutherford Hunt and Seth Luna, the Lords of the Hunt, have broken up, Rutherford Hunt is now in a new tag team with Bryony Blood, and they are called the Blood Hunt. Oh, that's great. We know that Sidril Constellation and Danny Blackson are a main event level tag team called Star Dragon. Josh Vaskehuff actually named the team themselves. Beautiful. So, appreciate that. 
my personal favorite, uh, Crash Tag, the the millennial like uh, techie, and Fat Blunt sixty nine, the pot smoking robot, are on a tag team, and their team name is High Tech. Oh, that's so good. So I thought I thought it was pretty good. Okay, all right, <laughs> you're not gonna top that. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna stop now. There's some other ones, but I'll uh, get into it more as again the um, show goes on. Thanks to everybody who responded to my call on social media for uh, helping us name our events. I have a large list of names I'm going to choose from. I've only inputted one so far. It was a suggestion from David Waters on Facebook uh, within the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, one of the places where I posted the call to action. And I liked his name for a pay-per-view, Ill Omens. So That's very that is good. the name of our November 2020 uh, pay-per-view, which we will be building to in the coming weeks. So thank you to everybody again for being uh, patrons of the show. And I will continue to update you as the game goes on. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about the game. Uh, Bob, do you know who owns the next Wrestling Fan Federation? I'm afraid. Who is it? It is the Mad Space Judge. Liz of Logan. course. <laughs> Absolutely. That tracks 1000%. And then also, we are going to be having a watch party on the 25th of October. So yes. that will be next Sunday. So come and join us and we're going to watch some good stuff. Yeah, it's not exactly happening on Bob's birthday, but it's close to Bob's birthday. I mean, I'm taking over all of October. Okay. (laughs) Well, I was thinking of doing maybe like a combination of like stuff that I think you'd like and maybe like Halloween themed stuff that has happened in wrestling. So somebody in a dumb costume. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, So come join us for our watch party, uh, October 25th, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we're going to have a lot of fun. I cannot wait to see, I don't know, Mick Foley dressed as a dinosaur. Something. We might have to do another Matt Hardy follow-up for, oh, uh, for this boy. one. So we'll see what happens. So thank you to everybody out there for listening, for uh, being a patron, for joining us on October 25th. Whatever it is you do, however it is you engage with and support this podcast, we appreciate you. And we will see you again in two weeks for a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.